0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Hello?
2: to Cincinnati.
0: You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that.
3: When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us.
4: The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear, a part of the Blue
2: Wire Podcast Network. I am told with Adam Gase. That uh, Jets lose Thursday is done. But Gase has a problem. He's not only losing games, but he's lost the locker room. Like he's not. I'm always very suspicious when, you know, you could talk guys into plan and talk guys out of plan. Too many Jets are always hurt. Like there's something here. Do players want to play? I'm told the Jets have already reached out to a top coach agent and started asking questions. They're going to look to college. They're going to look to the pros. But the Jets have started the process. Of course, the Jets will deny this. But the Jets are now calling big-time agents. I'm not going to give you the name of the agent because that will give up my source. But they are calling big-time agents, Christopher Johnson, and they're now compiling lists. Uh, and, and, And I told you this last week. This is what really hurts. Ryan Tannehill has gotten significantly better since he left Adam Gase. That's a
1: problem. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Gear, and that's Chris Krueger, host and producer of the Rock Powell Report Podcast. And that was Colin Cowherd on FS1 on the future of the New York Jets in the aftermath of
4: Week 3. How could you not be considered to get fired after... The start of that the Jets season.
1: You can't get me started. in this. I mean, how, how could you not be considered to get fired when you show up for your introductory press conference making those faces? I'm sorry. You can't help it. They're right there. You'd be thrown out. If I ran a company and you showed up and on your first day I saw you, I walked past your office and your door was open and I saw you sitting at your desk making googly eyes like that, I'd throw you out of the building. All right. Well, I'd have you removed.
4: That's why we have a gif of you doing that same thing. <laughs>
1: So it was another wild week of action week three across the AFC East, and we're here to break uh, to just break into it. One team reached a new level of greatness, and another finally broke ground in the win column, while another is seemingly praying that they hit rock bottom sometime soon. <laughs> you look around the division, Chris, the Bills sit in first place with a perfect 3-0 record over just an electric win over the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, just electric. We broke it down in just significant detail in our Rock Pile Report podcast, which you're going to want to go check out. The Patriots are in second place. Two and one off an, uh, kind of an up and down victory against the Raiders. I mean, it didn't always look like they were going to cruise to a victory in that game.
4: I didn't get to see much of the highlights of that game. I just saw the score 36 was 36 to 20. Yep. And I just assumed that the Raiders got steamrolled. That is not the case, sir. One of those where the score is not indicative of what happened on yes, the sir. field. Got it.
1: The Dolphins, sitting in third place, are 1-2 after showing out on primetime TV with their first win over in-state and in-conference enemy, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And their baloney-eating head coach.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, it was Beard versus the stash. Beard wins. Beard, Beard always wins.
1: I think the problem with Gardner Minshew is he grew that mustache— Right? And that's kind of become his thing. Yeah. And that's cool. That's cool. Have a mustache. Mustaches, are, they're, they're distinguished. They're historic. Doc Holliday had a cool mustache. Uh, Tom Selleck, Magnum P.I.
4: A lot of the best presidents had facial hair. D- Teddy Roosevelt had a badass mustache. Yep.
1: But then he went full Florida man and grew the gorilla cape to go along with it. I'm sorry. It's, it's like, like
4: the Hulk Hogan.
1: When you grow... The shoulder length flow and have that stash, you actually cross over. Like, you're no longer, I don't know. I think it knocks you into a whole different, first of all, it should put you in a whole different tax bracket. Just that, that hair, facial hair combination alone.
4: Well, did you, did you at least see? I think
1: you get a misdemeanor just for walking around like that. They just add one to your permanent record.
4: Did you at least, did you at least see? Fitzmagic post-game in his get-up that he had. Of course. He he looked like he would park uh, Crockett and Tubbs' car in Miami Vice.
1: He he looked like a homeless Razor Ramon. That's what he looked like. <laughs> but nonetheless, their team is 1-2 and, and they're finally getting to the win column. And the Jets, the Jets sit in fourth place at an 0-3 that after just another, just drubbing, by another team that almost seems improbable at this point, it somehow... Chris, does it feel like they have more... Does it feel like they have more than three losses?
4: Yeah, I I feel like at the way that the Jets' season is going is that at the end of the season, like the EPL, the Jets would get relegated to the XFL if it was still around. They're that bad.
1: So as you folks heard into the intro to tonight's show, which I feel... Chris, do you ever really feel bad? You approach me with these intros. You approach me with how we're gonna
4: open each show. Do you ever feel like you're sometimes picking
1: on the New York Jets?
4: I mean I I can, but I mean, they're the laughing stock of the division, you know. That that last week was a Joe Benino, the uh, <laughs> uh, and then Listen, he's and an yeah. old man. Yeah. Him and then this week, you know, as bad as they played. You know, look, listen to that. Adam Gase on the hot seat. Who would have thought?
1: Well, here to talk about all of this with us, as he does every week, Mr.
5: Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. How are you, sir? Hey, boys. How are you? <laughs> I got to say that intro was something. I tend to think that Colin Coward is full of it. He's just reading the tea leaves. And as we know, Chris Mortensen said exactly what Colin Coward said on Sunday. So that's really more... What I'd be leaning on, the interesting thing there is that both uh, Mortensen and, uh, and Adam Gase have the same agent. And I think that's probably where Mortensen got his information from. So there's something interesting there. Plus, Darnold, I believe, same agent as well. But y- you have to figure that there's something to this. Chris Mortensen somebody who's very well respected. He's not going to be reporting this if he doesn't have good information as far as Adam Gase being out. And I think I speak for almost every Jets fan at this point when I say, please just get it over with. Let's hope Denver smashes them on Thursday night. <laughs> is out of here. That's, and I guess that's my first question. I mean, we obviously opened with this clip
1: just outlining what a mess things are. And again, as the pettiest, hardest drinking bills podcast, we over here at the Rockpile Report embrace this with open arms. Because we've watched Jets fans go from talking about nobody taking them seriously, some of the lunatic fringe Jets fans talking about 10 to 11 wins and being a playoff dark horse, to suddenly in week three, the, the Jets looking like the first team in 2020 to fire a head coach. I mean, this, none of none of 2020 has gone well for the country, much less the New York Jets. I mean, if anything, they are, they are peak 2020 at this point. And the fact that you don't seem to mind the idea that you're going to be the first team to fire their head coach speaks volumes about how sick and tired you guys must be of Adam Gase.
5: Drew, it's really just a matter of sometimes when you make a mistake, it's better to move on from that mistake as quickly as possible rather than lie to yourself and compound it. And I think... Many Jets fans wanted Gase fired during the season last year. I wouldn't have objected, but I'm not really big on a guy who's in his first year as head coach of the team getting fired midway through the year. Unless we're talking about something incredibly heinous. That said, I would have fired him at the end of the season. I get that you don't love to be doing that all the time, but sometimes you have no choice. Look what Arizona did. As an example, the Browns pulled the plug on Freddie Kitchens. There's another one. I think ultimately with the Jets, they've hung on to Gase a little longer than they should have. It's time for him to go. Look, let's be honest. He was brought in here to really more than anything else progress with Sam Darnold. And Sam Darnold has actually looked at best no better than when Gase showed up and at worst significantly more flawed than when Gase showed up. And it's a big problem because, look, let's be honest here. You guys know Josh Allen, a lot of critics, including me, and I still think he has his shortcomings, but the Bills have done an outstanding job of building to his strengths and making sure that he is the absolute best version of himself. The Jets have done the opposite, and now we're at the point where Sam Darnold, look, the more you watched against the Colts, he was awful, just awful, and we can blame Gase, and we can blame Joe Douglas, and we can blame the man on the moon, but... You watch the tape and it's just dreadful. His footwork is still bad. He's making terrible decisions. He's missing easy throws. He's not seeing guys open downfield. And now you have to wonder if he can ever really be fixed to the point where he can be even an average or above average starter in the league. And so this is a nightmare scenario that I think at least getting rid of Gase might help in the short term. Because then at least you put Jim Bob Cooter in charge of the offense for the next 12 games. You know that he has a track record. He was solid in Detroit with Matthew Stafford, did okay with him. If Jim Bob Cooter can maybe at least get Darnold back on the right track, then it was worth getting rid of Gates now. But but you have to do that because it's the only way that you have even a chance of this guy breaking out of the funk.
1: I mean, going back to Sunday's game, it was horrific. Those three interceptions, which... I've seen people already trying to defend Darnold, but those are three bad picks. Those are three picks that when Josh Allen made the. Like, Chris, a perfect example. When you saw in that first Bills New England game, when Ryan, when, uh, what he had three interceptions Darn, uh, Allen did. Yeah. So when you saw the picks, a bunch of them were just bad decisions. Yeah. Bad decisions categorically. And yeah, the other, the, the receiving player probably could have done something. Kind of like the Zay Jones situation where Zay Jones probably could have fought for the ball in the air a little bit to not let his cover man intercept the pass. But it was a poor choice by the quarterback that spawned it. And we're now seeing Sam Darnold making these types of mistakes. It's one thing if you're in your first or second year. It's worse if you're in your third. It's akin to what we saw in the game last night on Monday Night Football with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is in the th- is in a must-score situation on the cusp of the red zone, and he takes two sacks that illustrate throughout the course of those plays, on back-to-back plays, that he doesn't understand pocket mechanics. You're in your third year in the NFL, and you're still struggling with something this simple. What that speaks to is that you haven't been coached up on these things. Either that or you just haven't been given the tools around you to give you any level of confidence. Now we know or that you're not so capable of executing Or it. you're not capable of it. Now we know in Lamar Jackson's case, he's been given all of the tools, the coordinating, he's been given the gameplay style, the, the offensive style, I should say. He's been given everything. And it let him do an NFL MVP, even if I think he's not a great quarterback. I don't think he's a good passer. I think he's gimmicky at best. I, I've, in fact, I think a lot of things about Lamar Jackson, but I, that's a diatribe for its own day. When you look at Donald, Donald had the potential, but you saw warning signs in USC that he was going to have some issues and that you were going to have to work with those and find a way to groom him out of them or get him the talent to overcome them, and they've done neither. One of the worst, I mean, you look at this, one of the worst things that they've allowed to happen to him is just his protection. For his entire career, his protection has been garbage. When you look at the stats on Sunday in this 36-7 just drubbing that the Colts gave you guys, they allowed eight quarterback hits compared to only one hit on Phillip Rivers for the entire game. Like, that's, that's an insult. And if I'm Sam Darnold and I'm sitting here, I'm watching this other quarterback go out there and play and he's untouched, and then I know I'm going out there and I'm going to be harassed constantly, it almost becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy of defeat. It's hard to get excited about going to work in any job in that type of environment, much less one where you're putting your body on the line. And I think that Adam Gase, you want to talk about what he's done, what he hasn't done. The book on him his entire career has been that he's this offensive mind. Yet when you look at what's come in his wake, he's failed to develop anyone. His players all seem to thrive after he leaves. ESPN has a total efficiency stat, which is a blend of offensive, defensive, and special teams efficiency, boiled down to a coefficient. The Jets are currently 6 out of 100. That's 6, the number 6 on its own, out of 100 points. There's no way that Jets fans can still be defending Adam Gase at this point, can
5: they? There's not many. Look, you can make some excuses. Obviously, the talent on the roster is not very good. But at the same time, if you're an offensive wizard, I'm not asking for you to have a top 10 offense, but at least put an offense out there that might at some point scare the opposing defense, that you might do something. And we had that one drive at the beginning of the game that was on script where Darnold threw that nice pass on the run to Braxton Barrios for a touchdown. And again, that showed you what Darnold can be at his very best, but there just isn't enough of that. And you know this in the NFL when you're a quarterback, you have got to be at least relatively consistent. If you're only, if you're having four really good games a year, that's not enough. And that's basically been the story of Darnold. And with Gase, he was supposed to take Darnold to another level. Now, as far as protection, I will make one excuse for Gay Sanford Darnold in that particular game. Uh, they started the game with two starting offensive linemen out, and by the time they were in the second quarter, Makai Becton was out too. So you had three fifths of the starters out, and I think that's a big part of why the offensive line got crushed. They have actually been better. They had been the first two weeks. Now that's not to say they were a great offensive line, but they were certainly much more workable than they were last year. We know how terrible they were then. But overall, it's just been such a terrible disaster under Gase. And I think the Jets fans that compare him to Kotite are taking that too far because Rich Kotite is the worst coach, maybe in the history of the NFL, but certainly in the history of the franchise. But I will say that when you have a team that can't score points and can't stop the other team from scoring points, it doesn't get any worse. No, I mean, every week,
1: Your point, embarrassing.
5: Di- your point differential as of today sits at negative 57. Right, and that's misleading, Drew, because you know in the Bills game, they got fluky touchdowns, so <laughs> they really should have lost by way more than they did. And the same thing with the 49ers, even. They got that fluky touchdown at the end with Braxton Berrios. That point differential, as bad as it is, should be a lot worse. So
1: we're talking about this almost as if it's going to happen. And I mean, it just sounds like they need to Chris, they just need to take old Yeller out back and put him down. I mean, it just needs to happen. Now you being as plugged into all of this as you are, you've already mentioned Jim Bob Cooter's name. And I find it interesting because that makes it sound like you trust the in house options to come in and fill that vacancy. Cause I, I came into this wanting to know your opinion on the idea, preferred options, somebody in house An outside hire, maybe in the middle, maybe in a few weeks, you bring in somebody. And once this is over, is this person just a stopgap? It's a two-part question. The first one, do you believe that the best course of action is taking someone from this staff, who, mind you, were part of the same losing Adam Gase promoted, to run the team? Or would you prefer they go outside? Or B... And I guess, B, part two of this question is when it's all said and done and the dust settles at the end of the season, if Gase truly does leave, which it looks like it's a foregone conclusion, where would you prefer they go looking for their next head coach?
4: I would assume that Greg Williams has already been interviewed at least twice.
1: Oh, well, you know, that guy doesn't have to call anybody. He he, he (laughs) takes calls all day long for head coaching jobs. I mean, I'm sure he did.
5: (laughs) Uh, This is really where my thought process is on this. I think... I'm hoping that the Broncos beat the Jets so that there's not even any doubt what happens. And you've got twelve games left. I think what they should do now what I do think they're going to do if Gase gets fired is they'll promote Greg Williams to interim head coach. I think that's a mistake. (laughs) I don't think that first of all, Greg Williams' defense has been terrible this year, but second of all, what is the point of doing that when you know that Williams is not going to be the head coach next year? There's no way the Jets are hiring him permanently. I think it would Would be be, ideal to get somebody – I'm sorry. I was just going to ask, would it it be the most Jets thing ever if they did? Uh, (laughs) No. Well, the most Jets thing ever would be that uh, Gase stays. They win like five or six games and they talk themselves into keeping him. That would be an even more Jets thing than than hiring Greg Williams. But, yeah, if they did hire Greg Williams, it would certainly be a Jets move. But I think what realistically – It would be nice to get somebody from out of the organization to take the reins on offense the rest of the way, but I just don't see who could possibly be available at this point that you could grab now. I think that's something you you have to do at the end of the season, but as far as in-house options, the one good thing with Jim Bob Cooter is that we know that he had productive passing offenses in Detroit. To be fair, he did have Stafford, who's a very good quarterback, but still, he got production out of Stafford, so if nothing else, you know he has a track record you might as well let him take over and see what he can do. As far as the head coach part of this, what I would do, I don't think the Jets will do this, but what I would do, I'm a big fan of Brant Boyer, who is the Jets' special teams coach. The Jets have had the among the best special teams in the league for the last five years. Now, their offense and defense have fluctuated. The offense has been terrible, mostly. But the special teams has been consistently excellent since Brant Boyer came in in 2016, I I'm a guy who believes very strongly that more special teams coaches should be getting opportunities. And I think John Harbaugh has, has proven that there's certainly value to that. I would tell Brant Boyer, look, we're elevating you to interim head coach for the next 12 games. Show us what you got. If you do well, you'll be a legitimate candidate at the end of the season. And I would say something similar to Jim Bob Cooter. I would say, look, you and Brant work together. Your success is tied together. If you can turn Donald around, and if Brant can get this team in the right direction, we'll absolutely consider keeping both of you for next season. Now, as far as guys they could get on the outside after the season is over, we've heard all the usual names. I'm not the biggest fan of hiring the enemy. Now, listen, I would need a more uh, more of a deep dive on him, but the way I look at it is, he's a guy that doesn't call plays and. He has the most talented offense in the league by a wide margin. I'm not saying he can't be a good head coach. I just think there's a lot of question marks there, and it would make me nervous, especially after the Jets just hired a guy who came from a similar circumstance. He was the offensive coordinator of the league's most potent offense, and he had the best quarterback who was making everything look easy. Again, if they interview him and they go through the everything and they find that he's a the guy they feel comfortable with, that's fine. But I'd be nervous and I'd be nervous truthfully about just hiring a coordinator because look, everybody's talking about Arthur Smith from Tennessee and he's done a really good job, but he's been calling plays for a year. And beyond that, he has no, nothing approaching head coach experience. The guy that I really like is a guy that they almost hired a couple of years ago before Gase which is Todd Monken, who was the head coach at Southern Miss for three years, did a great job. In fact, Nick Mullins, who put a be- helped put a beating on the Jets two weeks ago, was a guy that showed up as a 150-pound freshman at Southern Miss, and Monken had him NFL ready by the time he was gone. He developed a really strong roster at Southern Miss. They went from winless when he got there to three years later, They were winning the conference championship. Plus, we know what he did in the pros, helped develop Mike Evans, helped develop Adam Humphreys. Uh, Justin Blackman, when he was at Oklahoma State, helped turn him into the best receiver in the country. And, of course, we know how well he did with that Tampa Bay offense. They were the number one passing offense in the league with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston at quarterback. So this is a guy that, to me, the resume is perfect in the sense that he's got experience doing all the things that you would look for. So he's a guy I really like. But if you're going the coordinator route, look, interview the enemy. that's fine. I'd be nervous. Interview Arthur Smith, Dable, I know you guys probably don't want to hear that, but they should definitely interview him, maybe Greg Roman, although last night was a bit of a disaster with the Ravens offense, but he's got ties to Joe Douglas, so there's another possibility. And then obviously you could always try your home run swing. I'm not really a Jim Harbaugh fan, but if they want to at least try to make contact with Lincoln Riley, why not? It's worth a shot. All, all that could happen is he tells you no. I will say this, though, guys. This is where, for whatever anybody wants to say, if the Jets get the number one pick, first of all, it doesn't matter because they would take Trevor Lawrence and all this, well, they would keep Arnold and trade the pick. There's no way. But if they get the number one pick and they have the opportunity to draft Trevor Lawrence, remember, that also makes it a lot easier to get a big-time head coach if they want to try and lure somebody. Like Riley. Now again, I'm not saying Riley would take the job, but if Lawrence is in play, it at least makes it something where you could consider. He might even give you a little bit of thought. So it's interesting. But for now, I think you go with the in-house guys, see what they can give you. If they do well, they're legitimate options for next year. If not, you cast them aside. Although I would try to keep Boyer on special teams either way, and you go the outside route and go through the the process, and hopefully this time hire the right guy, which they haven't done really, let's be honest, since Bill Parcells. See, I would
4: sign off, Drew, on doing the enemy because, you know, just from just from our own track record and of late around other teams, I've heard guys that come from Andy Reid's system kind of do do well. McDermott, <laughs> Doug Peterson. You, you get him the hell
1: away from our division. <laughs> you knock it off, Chris. Don't you wish that evil on me. <laughs> S- S- Scott, it's always a great time picking your brain about this stuff. It's not such a great time trying to rewatch the condensed version of your team's games.
4: I, it's, it's oh when I got I, when I got home, we had the jet game on locally because I don't have the ticket. We had the jet game and the Dallas game. I'm all for watching a, a car accident. I didn't <laughs> even pay attention to the Dallas game. I had that jet game on the whole time.
1: Well, I mean, Chris, we are the pettiest podcast. I mean, exactly. Scott, we love bringing you on to pick your brain about these things. Why don't you tell everybody what you have coming up this week and where they can find you on
5: Twitter? First of all, just to add to what Chris was saying, I found it funny because the theme today in the pressers was all the players and gays saying that the team is angry. They're so angry right now. They're really pissed. They're pissed, which is funny because before the season started, all we heard from Joe Douglas was about how angry the Jets were, that people were disrespecting them. So I think maybe they should be happy. Because angry doesn't seem to be working for them very well. But if you want to listen to – if you're petty like Drew and Chris and you want to listen to somebody like me just be tortured, and I wouldn't blame you because, listen, I would probably want to do the same thing to Dolphins fans and Patriots fans and such. It's Play Like a Jet. You can get it on any podcast app, uh, Apple, Google Play, all of that stuff, Stitcher, Spotify, seven days a week. Uh, your old friend Joe Blewett comes on to do the film. Michael Nania comes on and does stats. We have the midweek news with Manish Mehta. We do Know Your Foe with somebody from the opposing team, so we get to know who the Jets are playing that week. We've got the pregame report and mailbag with Chris Nimbley of JetsInsider.com. Postgame report with Andy Vasquez of NorthJersey.com. And then, the uh, oh, and Brian Bassett, who is the godfather of Jets podcasts, is on on Tuesdays with his show. But... The best part is now, guys, for the pregame report, I've got Walter Cherapinski from Walter Football coming on to give betting tips because that way, even if you're like, "Ah, oh, I don't really care about this game, you could tune in just to try and make a few bucks betting on Sunday. And then for the postgame report, which comes out Monday right around midnight, you got Andy Vasquez to help wrap up the, the game. Uh, but you also have Charlie Campbell of WalterFootball.com who gives us some draft tips guys that could be within the grasp of of the Jets, and obviously for the Bills as well, because the Jets are going to have Seattle's first-round pick, so the Bills will probably pick right around where Seattle will, so a lot of the same guys will be in play for the Bills. And this past week, he gave us a couple of names of guys that are wide receivers that could be interesting at the end of the first round, so check it out. Play like a jet. Also, handle on Twitter is at play like a jet one. Thanks
4: to a lack of natural athleticism, or commitment, or overbearing sports parents, fewer than one percent of one percent of one percent of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Just like I have to watch Drew watch football. How else do you think do I get these amazing gifts by watching Drew watch football? I am so sad none of you get to experience what I get to experience every single Sunday watching Drew watch football. But Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching.
1: Well, Chris, I mean, we that conversation was fairly depressing. I mean, we love piling on as much as anybody, but it's, I mean, how, Chris, I feel like with the Jets, we've, we're beating a dead horse at this point.
4: Literally, yeah, yeah. But beating a dead horse
1: is fun for us. Yes, probably not our listeners. So we're gonna we're gonna change gears here. We're gonna celebrate, crack a fresh beer. We're gonna celebrate the first victory for the Miami Dolphins as they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars thirty-one to thirteen. And here to talk to us about it is Mister El Farriaga. How are you doing tonight? Great. <laughs> On a scale of one to Spinal Tap's eleven. How happy are you to get the monkey off your back and get that first W?
6: Uh, f- uh, 58, I would <laughs> say. It-, it was fun watching my team after last year because, truth be told, I think I told you guys in one of my first appearances on your show that last year really wasn't like an NFL season. Last year was about collecting all these assets and thinking about the 2020 NFL draft. But this year, you know, you kind of want to win some football games, and it had been a while since the Dolphins had beat the crap out of somebody and they sure as hell beat the crap out of Gardner Minshew on Thursday.
1: <laughs> First of all, it was the it was the game of facial hair. Yeah. Like it, it was the facial hair game, the national the national media tried to make that an angle, and I just feel like there's a differentiation here. Would you agree with me when I say that like Gardner Minshew's current gorilla cape slash mustache combo is something straight out of like Central Florida. Like the sticks of Florida. <laughs>
6: I would say so. Yeah, somewhere on North Florida. It's pretty gross.
1: I mean, I had a friend of mine who used to live in Pensacola, and he said they wouldn't even refer to it as, like, a part of Florida. They just called it L.A. for Lower Alabama. (laughs) And he said that every day on his way home from work, he would get passed by a giant red pickup truck that was jacked up to where you would almost need a ladder to get into it with a giant sticker that just said, make it nasty, across the front of the windshield. And we joked about how that's Gardner Minshew's truck. Like, that's him now. Now that he has that hair, that's what we're looking at. But so, enough of that. On to the football. How good did it feel to see that team execute? I mean, that level of execution we haven't seen at all over the course of the first two weeks. Talk a little bit about that. Was that the culmination of just the, the team gelling? Was it the level of competition? Was it the perfect storm of both? What do you think?
6: Well, I think uh, as far as the competition, the Jaguars have some some nice defensive players, and they have made some plays the previous couple of weeks, and have won a game actually. No, so you know you kind of you ever lot. Some people were wondering, well, you know, could the Dolphins win? And I said in the pregame show, the Dolphins don't win this game. You know, (laughs) it's time to start questioning who the hell is leading this team because on paper the Dolphins I felt had much more talent. And, yeah, as far as the execution, it was it was something to behold. Three consecutive drives, three touchdowns, all of them over 85 yards, the drives. Or, I'm sorry, all of them over 75 yards, the drives. And they could have scored much more if they had not, you know, taken their foot off the gas in the second half.
1: I, I almost you know. felt like watching it, the team was just like, all right, we have this. Let's just focus here. Everybody slow down. Let's salt this thing away. Let's not get greedy, make mistakes. We're just going gonna to keep the clock moving at all costs. I think one of the more impressive things for my taste is that your defense finally showed up. Because to your point, yeah. the Jacksonville Jaguars aren't exactly slouches. When you look back at their past two games, they played an Indianapolis Colts team that we all saw dismantle the New York Jets. We saw yeah. that. They played that same Indianapolis Colts team. And they played the Tennessee Titans, who are three and O. Who I, I an improbable three and oh, They played a lot of close games, but in that process, they scored fifty seven points. So to see that against two upper echelon teams in the AFC South, to then come in host you guys and watch your defense just put the boots to them. I mean, your yeah. front seven was probably the most important important part of that. I mean, to my opinion, what do you think?
6: Yeah, they created a lot of pressure. Uh, it wasn't really about winning one-on-one. It was like manufacturing pressure with a lot of stunts and games that they ran inside. And, you know, they faked a ton of blitzes. And gone was all that man-to-man that they kept playing. Mm-hmm. They played a ton of man-to-man against Buffalo, and you saw it. And Josh Allen made them pay for it. This week, they disguise more coverages. They played more zone. And it worked out.
1: Oh, my God, did it work out. I mean, you, 13 points. You hold an NFL football team that's not coached by Adam Gase to 13 points, That that's how you know that your group earned their paychecks that week. And like I said, the front seven was just impressive because you started to see players like Shaq Lawson. You saw Kyle Van Noy making splash plays. You saw these guys that you went out and paid money for showing up in meaningful ways and influencing the other team to cause negative plays. It it really was something to take in. And then when you look on the offensive side of the ball, I feel like every franchise that Ryan Fitzpatrick plays for seems to have at least one or two of these. Whether it's the Bills, the Texans, the Jets, we call them the quote-unquote Fitzpatrick games. They go down in history. They'll, They'll exist in your team's lore for years, even if nothing else that he does is spectacular <laughs> would you say that this might be his ryan fitzpatrick game for you guys
6: uh, no i would say it was that game last year in new england that's uh, fair to beat new england at the end of the season that he was just so he was he was perfect in that game but yeah in this game he was really 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 good but you just kind of you, you started to see how it was building throughout the game he was 11 for 11, then he was 12 for 12. And then he started taking a few more chances and even those were working out. And all his reads were spot on. And you you know he's feeling good when he's trying to run over defensive ends and then <laughs> successfully runs over a linebacker for a touchdown and then tackles our center in the end zone. So when
1: yeah. we saw like I saw the highlight of that the next even the next day when someone had just captured the look on Ryan Fitzpatrick's face coming out of the end zone after he runs in that touchdown. I think I tweeted it out. Uh, I just said, look, the thing that I'll always love about Ryan Fitzpatrick is that through 16 years of a career, he's never needed a team to show him any kind of long-term loyalty. He's never needed star players around him. He's never needed any encouragement from anybody else. He's kind of been this guy who's been the career journeyman but he embraced that role. He didn't need success to define whether or not he loves playing football. Every uh. year he seems to come into it with that same just love of the game. And it sounds cheesy, but when you see a grown man with a beard like that, with his eyes all wild, just running around looking for somebody to hug, <laughs> he loves the game. And it doesn't matter who he plays for or who he plays with. He's going to show up every single season, no matter what jersey he's wearing. And he's going to give the game everything he has. And I feel like the Miami Dolphins, win or lose, are getting that out of him. Now, one of the things that you got to think about, because we are trying to... We're sitting here talking about the state of the AFC East. You watch the first two weeks and you say, okay, week one, the Giants offense looked punchless. This week, they look like juggernauts. On defense, your front seven, they had some problems the first two weeks. Now, all of a sudden, they come out here and they put the boots to a team in front of the world. Your takeaways in terms of the success, as you saw on both the offense and the defense, of that, what do you think is sustainable long-term?
6: What I think is sustainable long-term is that offensive line. That offensive line has really, really shocked us so far. We expected it to be much improved. We like the players that they drafted, except for Austin Jackson, oddly enough. (laughs) Like, we weren't on board with that draft pick. (laughs) And he might be the best of them all, although Solomon Kinley is the most exciting of them all. He's a monster. Yeah, that offensive line has been been really, really, really good. And Austin Jackson just passed. You know, he played against Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes is a pretty nice player. Didn't allow a sack to Jerry Hughes one-on-one. But he played, in in my opinion, his biggest test this past week against the Jaguars and Josh Allen. Josh Allen is one of the best pass rushers in football. And he threw another shutout his way. He got his first penalty of the year, (laughs) and it was a bogus penalty. I don't know if you saw it. It was for a face mask penalty when a guy just started pulling him down from the face mask. Listen,
1: don't get me started about face masks. We had enough (laughs) about that in our other podcast.
6: (laughs) So, you know... I guess the what, the one thing that is absolutely sustainable is that offensive line is just getting better and better every single week, and their execution is top-notch so far through three games. Even in the games that they've lost, that offensive line has, has done some good things. So I, mean, that should I think be- that's sustainable, and hopefully they can find a running back to make some more dynamic plays and get more than what's – actually been getting so far.
1: I think people really fell in love with the idea of Jordan Howard. And we're finding out that as this offensive line, to your point, starts to execute, somehow Miles Gaskin is your best guy. He's or at least your most explosive. And so with that in mind, you wonder, can maybe I get it. They, they weren't expecting anything from that group. But now you're starting to wonder, in some of these close games, like the game you had against Buffalo, would a more dynamic running back have helped maybe stem some of the tide on that.
6: Maybe Yeah, and Matt Breda Breda has played well when he's played, but for whatever reason, there's something going on there with him and the the coaching staff that he'll rip off an eight-yard run, he'll make a catch and draw. Like last game, he drew a a pass interference penalty, and he almost made the catch down the sideline. He makes plays, and then all of a sudden he disappears for a quarter. So... (laughs) I don't understand what that's about. So maybe the answer is already on the team in Matt Breda. but he's going to have to play more. And I don't know, I don't know if the coaches are on board with that yet.
1: Well, I'll tell you cuz this offensive execution that you guys have found is going to be it's going to be tested this week. You guys are going up against the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> Even if it is a home game, you're what you're watching in the Seattle Seahawks is a quarterback who's playing out of his mind. He's playing a level of football that the guts, the balls. He needs a wheelbarrow to carry his balls around in front of him. I mean, the way he's just chucking into coverage, but he's trusting his wide receivers. And DK Metcalf has been playing like a superstar. Their offense as a whole is just clicking. And I think it's going to be a test for Miami to, to keep up. What is it that you want to see coming out of this game in the event that it's because I I don't want to be a downer, but I feel like I feel like would you agree with me that rooting for the Miami Dolphins to win this game seems like a long shot?
6: Yes, although, you know, he's already lost here once. This is true. (laughs) This is true. So we could we could bank on that. Maybe they are coming across the country okay and we can hope for really really bad weather for them which means just our regular run of the mill hot weather not what we gave the the bills when they came down there <laughs> which was nice and toasty 82 degrees and then a, a nice little misty shower every 5 minutes to cool down the field you know i thought that was completely detrimental to what we wanted to accomplish against the bills but Yeah, you know, if you think about it on paper, the Dolphins should compete in this game because Lord knows we spent enough money on that secondary. But Byron Jones is 50-50 on whether he's going to be on the field this week. If he plays, I think that helps the Dolphins' chances. But they're going to have to score points, no doubt about it. They're going to have to score points to win this game.
1: So what would you consider a silver lining? Let's say it doesn't go your way. What would you consider something you'd still walk away from this feeling good about if they don't get the W? What would you need to if see com- in order to feel good about it?
6: If they compete, and just like the last time that we played uh, Russell Wilson, it took a drive on Seattle's end to win the game for them.
1: Hey, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. You guys held Josh Allen and the bar, our 3-0 Buffalo Bills. You made us drive to go down and win the game. I mean, it... It's not to say it can't be done against a hot football team. I've actually started watching your yard work series. Why don't you talk a little bit to our listeners about where they can find that, where they can find your podcast, and where they can catch up with you on social media.
6: Okay, the yard work series, you could go on the 5 Reasons Sports YouTube account, and you can look it up by just looking 5 Reasons Sports, and it'll be on there. I pick out four or five plays from the previous week's Dolphins game, and I break them down. And you can agree with me or not agree with me, <laughs> uh, as some have, on how I break down plays. But I know what the hell I'm doing, okay? <laughs> and uh, as far as the, the, the podcast, you can find us everywhere. It's 3 Yards Per Carry, the number 3 Yards Per Carry. We're everywhere. So wherever you get your podcast, we are there. And where can we find you on Twitter?
4: Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and The Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash.
1: And so now, as we continue the AFC East Roundup podcast, it's Chris, I feel like this has been a long time coming. We're three weeks into the season and yet making his first appearance on this show, one of the only—now it's been expanded to three— one of three Patriots fans that we will ever allow to speak on these podcasts. Longtime guest on the show, friend of the show, Mr. Christian Simonelli. How are you doing, sir?
7: Doing well, gentlemen, doing well. Not as good as the 3-0 Buffalo Bills, but I'm doing well, thank you.
1: And you know what? I'm glad to hear from you, buddy. We've been getting emails and messages from our listeners asking exactly where the hell you've been. Uh, some people speculated that you were out with an injury um in fact one of our listeners from we we told him he asked uh, you know where's simonelli is he on the ir2 that is that why he's not on the show and i we told him you got married and he said oh geez i thought he was injured not dead
7: (laughs) (laughs) no i'm alive and well alive and well just uh you know it's funny now with COVID. um you know, your 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 normal work day of nine to five, eight to four, whatever it is, no longer applies. People think they can just schedule Zoom meetings at six o'clock at night or, or five o'clock at night. So um <laughs> that's been kind of aggravating and a little bit of an adjustment. So we're dealing with that too a little bit. Gotta gotta set gotta set guidelines, gotta set rules, gotta set boundaries for these
1: people. Oh so, absolutely. Um, and I mean I mean listen, when it comes to you gotta make time for NFL football. You have to. And that's, what we have, and that's what we have you here tonight to talk about, is your New England Patriots moved to 2-1 and one this week with a victory against the Las Vegas Raiders. You went 36-20. to 20. i got to ask, now, from a non-analyst fan perspective, first of all, what is it like watching a New England team sans Tom Brady? I mean, we've gotten the take from guys like Mark Schofield, Mike DeBate from over at Lockdown Patriots, but for you as a fan, what is that? What does that feel like?
7: It feels really weird, um, and the reason it feels really weird is that most of the time you would go into these games, you knew you had the better quarterback, and you would just wait for the other team to screw up. This week, um, we didn't you know, you didn't know necessarily whether or not you had the better quarterback. And the first quarter of football that the Patriots played was the worst quarter of football I've seen them play in probably ten years. They just looked like they were completely asleep. And I said, you know, what's this? This is going to be a tough day. Well, sure enough, waited for the Raiders to throw up on themselves, commit stupid penalties, not capitalize. And um, ultimately, the Patriots woke up, um, ran for 250 plus yards, and here we are. But it's definitely different. Definitely, you know, definitely different.
1: Well, and, and it was almost, it was always going to be. I mean, one of the things that stood out Sunday when I was looking over the stat sheet and I was kind of watching, rewatching the condensed version of the game is that week one, you saw Cam Newton go out there against the Miami Dolphins and put up 160, I think like 164 yards passing. Not really really decisive with the ball in terms of putting it in the air. He was more of a running threat. And then you saw him come out week two in a game where you knew you had to win a shootout. And it looked like they were throwing it around, but there were still some problems. There were still some questions because you pretty much saw all of their passing action bottlenecked to two players. There wasn't really a whole lot of contribution from anybody outside of that. It raised some questions both out in the media and on this podcast as to whether or not that was something to be concerned about moving forward. Well, now, and I got to ask you, was this more game flow or was this more, would you say this is more due to the game flow or more due to just Cam Newton and how he plays? But you get in three games, this was his second one with under 170 yards passing and no passing touchdowns.
7: It was really more It was also the way the game went. Um, that game against Seattle, you know, he passed over 400 yards, but 200 of those yards came in the fourth quarter. Um, and there was a big, you know, sort of celebration around here after that Seattle game It was like, oh, wow, you know, this team's going to be better than we thought they were going to be, and they can pass, and they can do this, and they can do that. And we didn't think, you know, they had a game like that in them. I don't think they had a game like that in them either where they passed over 400 yards and, you know, came within basically a play of one in the game. Um but the next week uh, against the Raiders last week really reared its ugly head. Um, They got going on the ground, but when they tried to pass, they couldn't because the guys couldn't get separation. And I think that Seattle game, uh, as we get further away from it, is going to be more of a result of Seattle basically pulling guys off the street to play cornerback and how banged up they were versus the true talent of the team at wide receiver, which I still think absolutely blows.
1: Oh, well, I mean, the results speak for themselves. Cam Newton finishes the day with three completions, only three that traveled more than 10 yards in the air. One pick, no touchdowns, and zero completions more than 20 yards through the air downfield. So I mean, if you're saying it's a lack of separation, that completely makes sense from what I see on the stat sheet. I mean, obviously, the rushing attack got you guys through. 251 yards rushing. Chris, when's the last time a Bills team put up a 200 spot on the ground on someone? I can't even remember.
4: I would assume it might have been uh, when we had Jackson Spiller and or Marshawn Lynch. That would be my guess.
1: I mean, I... I can't fathom what that had to be like watching this steamroller of an offense go out there and try to accomplish what they did. And luckily, you're playing a team with statistically a very poor run defense already. So I guess when I'm looking at this now, the other story to come out of this game, because the Patriots on offense, it seems like this is going to be their identity moving forward. They're going to have to be a run-first offense that's kind of keyed off of keyed off of play action that's going to require Cam to make a lot of short throws and hope the wide receivers can generate yards after. Because to your point now, two out of three games, you've seen no separation, no run after the catch. not Guys not really getting open down the field for Cam to go to. And then on the flip side of the ball, though, I think is the more disturbing thing, or at least the more interesting <laughs> I should say more enjoyable if you're a Bills fan, probably more disturbing if you're wearing a Patriots uniform, is the day Derek Carr had against your secondary. When you watched the Seattle Seahawks you know, put on the performance they did, you can excuse it because Russell Wilson is one of the more elite talents at quarterback in the NFL. And DK Metcalf, say what you want, but the kid is a physical freak. Being a second-year yeah. player, I mean, it would be hard for any cornerback to try to physically match up with him just because of his speed and his prologue, his size and the, his catch radius. And so with that, you kind of understood some of Gilmore's struggles and some of the scheme things they ran into that Mark Schofield talked to us about last week. But you guys made Derek Carr look every bit like the elite quarterback Chris has been trying to convince me that he is his entire career.
7: Right. And I, you know, just to go back to your point about Seattle, I chalked it up to, okay, Russell Wilson's having an MVP-type year. He's threading the needle. They're not going to face Russell Wilson every week. Chalked it up to a bad game. Um, what I saw this week against the Raiders was very concerning. Definitely something is up with the secondary. In particular, Stephon Gilmore um, has not played well at all this season. Um, has gotten beat. At times has, has had penalties against him, which really seem to be lazy penalties. He just seems to be reaching guys that get past them and just grabbing them. Um, and it's just really, really, really sloppy playing the back end. Most worrisome thing for me on that side of the ball is the uh, run defense, though. They do not have linebackers. They do not have big tackles inside to stuff the run. Um, people are running roughshod all over them, and they're going to continue to do that until, quite frankly, they get new people in there, and they're going to have to either get somebody through trade Oh, they're going to have to get guys like Uche and Jennings, the rookies, to come in and play and give you meaningful minutes. Because right now, um, they have nothing. And there was a t- statistic today that somebody said on the radio, I don't know if it's true or not, that the Patriots have not played a single down of defense this year in base defense. Nope. Everything's been sub.
1: Everything's which been tells su-
7: you that they just simply they don't have the guys.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think that Mark yeah. Schofield alluded to this last week in the loss to Seattle, that the Patriots are playing a lot of their guys out of position. Gilmore, you guys are playing more zone than man coverage, and you're seeing it in the way Gilmore can't function the way he used to. I mean, you're seeing it in the way that they're kind of saying, okay, we know our cornerbacks are going to have to get into stopping the run because we don't trust our front seven to do it. And so with that in mind, we have to kind of play zone instead of man, which takes us out of our element. We're not able to do the things we want to do. But even with that, you gave up a 119.4 rating to Derek Carr. He only threw eight incompletions the whole day. (laughs) Watching Derek Carr, this quote-unquote elite quarterback, have a day like that where he's missing most of his wide receiver. (laughs) as, As a Bills fan, it makes me smile. As a Patriots fan, I'm sure you're not as thrilled. And now you have to come off of A shaky performance against the Raiders. A loss to the Seattle Seahawks. We're looking ahead to your matchup with the Kansas City Chiefs. Knowing that you've got a quarterback who now for two weeks, two weeks out of the three that we've played, hasn't been able to eclipse 200 yards passing. And you watch the show Kansas City just put on last night against the cool. uh, Lamar Jackson-led... <laughs> Lamar Jackson! MVP candidate Lamar Jackson, people! He's he's great. Oh, anybody at ESPN, like Bill Barnwell, you know, our friend over there, he <laughs> can tell you how great he is. He'll make any team a Super Bowl contender. Blech. That guy sucks. <laughs> Watching what the Chiefs did to that team just completely shut them down and the ferocity of their pass rush, the discipline of their linebackers... What is what are your feelings as a fan heading into that matchup?
7: How confident are uh, well, you? Well, I I I mean, I watched the Monday night game last night in complete horror. Um, you know, I, I just I said, "Oh my god, they're going to lose by 40 next week." Um, I just don't see a recipe other than the, the the you know, the Patriots playing bully ball um and just playing keep away from Kansas City, but honestly when you do that you also have to score touchdowns and i'm real dubious of them coming out right now and, and doing that um last night kansas city stumbled for a little bit eric the enemy their offensive coordinator went right up and down the sideline um basically chewing out the offense they went right down the field the next drive and scored it was like okay we got it like they're that good they are that good that they can just go out of will and and, and just absolutely just go right down the field so now that being said, historically over the 20 years of this you know um, run that the Patriots have had, when there's a game like this where everybody says they got no shot, they're not going to win. Usually you get the team's best effort. I just don't think they have the talent this this time to do it. I don't. And the defense again worries me more than anything. Um, what's the game plan going to be for the Kansas City against the Kansas City Chiefs? Are you just going to let them run all day and just double? kill and some, you know, anything, run and, and and maybe got against the pass, but even if you do that, I just think they'll they'll just paper cut you to death um with Kelsey and everybody else. So Well that's the um, thing. When yeah, you're playing a team like this. this game
1: at all. When you're playing a team like this, the thing I took away from it, and I I guess I've been thinking about this now for two weeks, because our matchup with them is coming down the pipe pretty quickly. I keep yep. going back to that Chargers game. Their defense oh. got thrown a curveball right before kickoff. Where they didn't know the quarterback they were going to be going up against. So everything they had schemed up had to be scrapped and thrown out the window because you're playing a completely different quarterback who you have no tape on. You've literally never seen the kid play. They gave up a 300 yard passing day. But when it mattered, <laughs> their defense was able to, lo- their, their defense was able to lock things down. They were able to hold on long enough, but with their fingernails. Until Patrick Mahomes could figure out how to stymie the Chargers defense. And on the other side of things, you've got this powerhouse offense for the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chargers threw the kitchen sink at them that day, knowing they had to. Knowing that they were going to have to be carry the load for that entire team. Having a premier pass rush talent like a Joey Bosa... Having, uh, what, Melvin Ingram, having some of these players who are just standouts at their position in the front seven. They've got a pretty good defensive line. They've got a pretty good linebacking core. Some premier pass rush talent. And even they couldn't stop Kansas City. So if that's the case and your defense is playing out of position simply because they don't trust your front seven, this could be a recipe for absolute disaster.
7: Yeah, I think it could get really ugly. I'm with you. Um, You know, that being said, I, I just think that the team over the years has responded. But this year, I just feel that they don't have the talent. I mean, when you have guys like, I mean, they're playing guys like Dietrich Weiss and Chase Winovich at, at tackle. Um, you know, at nose what? tackle. in the interior. like to 280 get, I mean, they're pounds. Trying to get, they're trying to generate a pass rush. Um, and they're trying to get, and they're moving guys all around. Just to try to get something. Um, it, I mean, it's that it's that bad. I mean, no Donta Hightower and no Patrick Chung were the two. You want to talk about curveballs? The two biggest curveballs uh, against this defense to start the year. You got guys like Jawan Bentley in there. You got a rookie and Duggar who's been seeing more snaps. He's pretty aggressive, but he's a rookie. He's really just running around like a player with a t- like a chick with a teddy cut off, um, hitting anything that moves. Really not controlled. So. Yeah, I mean I, this defense right now, in particular the run defense. Um, more than anything, um, it just it's just horrifying right now. It really is.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. I wish I could say that we felt bad for you, but I don't. Not even a little bit. You shouldn't. <laughs> before we let you go, you, you shouldn't. Before we let you go, can you do one thing for me? Can you just say sure. Dante Scarneckia?
7: Dante Scarneckia <laughs> is the greatest offensive line coach in NFL history.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Simonelli, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter? Because you're, you're an interesting follow. You like to have good sports conversation. I, it, It's a good time.
7: Sure. You can follow me at Chris with a T-I-A-N on Twitter. Or give me a follow. I'll follow you back. And uh, I follow a lot of Buffalo Bills fans as a result of this podcast. We have some good back and forth, which I appreciate. I kind of had a little preemptive uh, meme on Sunday with the Atlanta Falcons 28-3. to 3. <laughs> He's morphing into the Buffalo Bills. But uh, you want to talk about Banana Land, by the way, 2020. Is, um, is it true? And someone told me this. That, um, Josh Allen is the first quarterback in NFL history through three games to pass for a thousand yards and have ten touchdowns and, and, uh, passing and two rushing in yep. NFL history. You, you are, are correct, sir. Answer.
4: You're welcome.
7: <laughs> this is Upside Downville Banana Land 2020 blows.
4: All right, you guys can go follow Alf, Scott, and Christian all on Twitter. They do great things with the teams that they root for.
1: And you know who else does great things with the team that they, uh, team that they root for and the team that they play for, the Buffalo Bills. And I guess walking away, we're going to talk Bills here for a minute. Looking at this, Chris, there's just one thing. In our Obviously, we won 35-32. Our listeners know that. Yeah. At least they better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think one of my takeaways that we didn't have time to go over in our last podcast is that I think that this game, more than anything that's gone on this season – This was a statement for Josh Allen that no quarterback in our division can challenge him for best quarterback in the AFC East. You would be hard-pressed to make a case that there is a quarterback in this division that can challenge him for that title.
4: Well, maybe best-dressed quarterback.
1: (laughs) Maybe. But best quarterback on the field? I mean, look at the options, Chris. You have... A team with no wins, who's about to implode like the Death Star, and whose quarterback is probably going to get burned up in the resulting ball of fire in Sam Darnold. The kid has regressed somehow. Somehow, he... Like like all things, Adam Gase truly is a reverse King Midas, in the sense that everything he touched turns to garbage. And Sam Darnold is the latest example of that.
4: You could not convince me that... This is all Sam Darnold's fault. I would say it is 80% coaching.
1: But now you're watching it have the the effect, Chris, that they've dug such a hole. I don't know that he can get out. He's
4: ruining Darnold at this point. But Sam
1: Darnold may be finished. And if that's the case, because think about it, at least Tannehill, when Gase was ruining Tannehill, or at least not progressing his skill sets, at least he already had some experience some experience, to understand what it was like to be an NFL quarterback without this lead weight as a head coach dragging you down. Sam Darnold didn't really have that.
4: The best situation that we as Bills fans can hope for is that the Jets continue their decline into the basement of the league. They obtain that number one overall pick in April, and they do take Trevor Lawrence from Clemson and... They get rid of Sam Darnold kind of in the way that Drew Brees left San Diego. And <laughs> Sam Darnold turns his career around and wins a Super Bowl somewhere else.
1: Hey, as long as he doesn't go in his first five years, I don't have to drink a Seagram's. It's not a Seagram's. It's a lot of Seagram's. I, we made that bet pre-draft.
4: Yeah. and I and lucked
1: out with him going to the Jets. I mean, when I look at Sam Darnold in this situation, Chris, I feel like Adam— and I meant to bring this up with our guest, Scott, but— I feel like Adam Gase is Buffalo Bill, and Sam Darnold is just that girl in the well in his basement.
4: Jessica, uh, he's little baby in the well in the eighties. No, <laughs> you see,
1: because you don't know movies. Silence of the Lambs. My God, I want to hit you. Hmm. I, you just said baby I'd like in a well hit you with a bottle. I swear, you just to said not.
4: baby in a well. I'm thinking baby Jessica in the eighties. He's
1: literally just keeping Sam Darnold in a well in his basement. Just wait. It's like, look, you're going to die down there, kid. Eventually, eventually we're just going to have to fill this hole in. That's all that's going to happen. And so Sam Darnold is no longer in this conversation. Meanwhile, you go and you look at the Miami Dolphins. You don't know what Tua Tagovailoa is yet. He hasn't gotten a play. And in front of him is a Ryan Fitzpatrick who, yes, we just got done talking to Elf about how much we love the guy. He's one of my favorite players. Chris, I'll say it. Just a pure football player. He was on. Uh, I love that guy.
4: He was on Schefter's podcast, and Schefter had asked him, uh, favorite NFL city, and he said, it was, hands down, it's Buffalo. And then Schefter was like, why? And he goes, because it's Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> he gets it. He gets it.
1: And that's what we love about that guy. But, Chris, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that he's 91% completion percentage good. No, he's not. He's not. He's just not. And then the other option is a team with a quarterback who has proven through three weeks now, three weeks of games with the New England Patriots, Cam Newton has showed us that he cannot create a consistent passing attack on his own. On a week-to-week basis, he's at the mercy of the other team's mistakes in coverage, given the poor quality of his wide receivers and tight ends.
4: You know, if the Patriots want to go out and sign the best player that cam newton has played with at receiver when it comes to just uh, uh just a pure what's the word i'm looking for we're on the same page with somebody Calvin benjamin's still available the patriots want to go <laughs> patriots want to go get Calvin benjamin he's available
1: Who was it who made the joke that he was one biscuit away from uh, being a tight end?
4: Everyone's favorite Monday night football analyst, Anthony McFarland. (laughs) The old boogie, Booger McFarland. (laughs) I wonder... Maybe Belichick could probably keep the weight off him, because I don't think that they have uh, Bojangles or Popeyes in the New England region.
1: (laughs) Ultimately, the Patriots are kind of in this situation where you'd like to think Cam Newton's good... But he's not as good as he showed up in that Seattle game. And I think two games against competition like the Dolphins and the Raiders has kind of proven that. So with that said, how is Josh Allen not the heir apparent to the mantle in the AFC East? At this point, I get it. There was conjecture going into the season that maybe maybe someone would step up and challenge. But now, today, sitting here where we are, how can you look around the division and say that we don't definitively have the better quarterback?
4: We have the best quarterback.
1: Okay, so with that said, who tends to win most games, as we know?
4: The best quarterback. Ugh. Our guy, Josh Allen.
1: I mean, it's it, Chris, we already have a 2-0 advantage in the division. We're yep. already 2-0. When is our next
4: division game? Uh, I think it's November 1st against New England.
1: We don't play the Jets again before that?
4: We might. I know we... We got the Raiders on Sunday, followed by at Tennessee, allegedly, based on what happened today. And then uh, Thursday night against Kansas City.
1: And, and then I don't know here.
4: who we're playing after Kansas City.
1: And I guess this is the thing that's so big about what's coming down the pipe for the Buffalo Bills. When you look ahead, okay, so we may have a statement game against a non-conference opponent. That's good. I'm, gr- I'm glad that we're all confident now in what jo- what we have in Josh Allen here in 2020. Now the question is: Does that continue to translate to wins that are going to matter in the in the not just division race, but in the conference race? Because as of today, the Buffalo Bills are tied with Kansas City for the lead in the AFC.
4: That'll that'll and,
1: and, and the Steelers. That'll I believe
4: they're up there yeah. too. But the Kansas City game in three weeks that'll be the game because depending on what happens on Sunday, it's going to be oh well the Raiders look at all these injuries that the Raiders had you know you can't. But I guess so you my point—you can't give credit to the Bills' victory because of all these injuries, and then it's you know then we go on to play the Titans and we beat the Titan. While well, the Titans, yeah, they started three and zero, but let them make, know, they, let they, they, make yeah, excuses, yeah, Chris. Yeah, they were—I don't care—a win is yeah, a win. They were a wobble. Titans a wobbly three and zero. They, they could they like had all I think all three of their wins so far are by less than a field goal or something like that.
1: What I know is this: the two teams that are currently tied for the conference lead with us, we play them. And a bunch of the teams sitting at two and one. We play them too. So it, it lays out in front of us, Chris, that we could, we ho- we control our own destiny. And we have, to this point, easily one of the best quarterbacks, clearly in the AFC East, maybe in the AFC. And so with that said, you start to look beyond the division. You start to look at the conference and you go, <sighs> Our schedule lays out that if we handle business, if our quarterback can continue to prove that he's upper echelon, that he's becoming this, course, we could be talking about having the inside track to one of the top seeds in the AFC. Not yeah. just a division, but one of the top seeds.
4: Yeah, I think when it comes down to uh, you know where we seed for the playoffs is you don't want to be that team that has to play Kansas City and Baltimore.
1: No. Well... I mean, maybe you do want to play Baltimore as long as you can get a lead outside of the first.
4: Hey-ho! I can, only, ah! uh, I can only imagine the tweets that you will have lined up in your head if we take down Kansas City. Oh, I'm
1: already coming for Bill Barnwell. Oh, yeah, he forgot when he tried to publicly shame me. Oh, and all you did was you got us 30 extra followers. So thanks for that. And also, I'm a petty man. After that performance on Monday Night Football, Bill Barnwell had best believe I'm out here. I've got receipts. And I'm coming for you, sir. So with that, we look ahead at what's happening in week four around the AFC East and what's at stake. The New York Jets, with a loss to the Denver Broncos, could lose their head coach. Does that alone make Thursday Night Football appointment appointment watching for you?
4: Uh yeah, if I could watch it. I don't have NFL network, so I don't either way, I don't think I would watch that game. <laughs> what? I don't think and I, you
1: like to call yourself a part of the pettiest podcast
4: in existence. Yeah, why well, I I can't <laughs> bring myself to watch was it Brett Rippin? Yeah. Dude, Please. I'm gonna oh, I'll go dude. dig a hole in the backyard.
1: And <laughs> just lay down in it.
4: God, I, I would there's so many things I could think of that I would rather do than watch Jets and Broncos. <laughs>
1: You've got them. Okay, so f- bypass that. Miami, you go to Sunday. Miami could fall farther behind in their bid for a potential wild card spot. With that win, they're one win out of second place in the AFC East. All right, good for them. There's still moves to be made here. Something that I mean, there's been a third wild card spot created this season. With that being said. They, Chris, right now everybody's, if you have a win, you're in the game. We're only three weeks in. Yep. So, with that said, New England has a bad showing. Miami steps up. All of a sudden, there's a dogfight for positioning behind the Buffalo Bills. That's going to matter. All of those wins are going to matter. New England is going to go out, and I think what they're going to find out, Chris, very quickly, they're going to learn whether their ability to overcome upper echelon quarterback play, whether they have it or not. I mean, we listened to Christian tell us earlier that he even feels like a lot of their success came more at the injuries and the way the secondary for the Seattle Seahawks is designed. And to that credit, look at the yardage that defense has given up this season. They've yeah. been bad. Yeah. Yeah. Every game the Seahawks have been in has been an absolute shootout, almost necessitated by the fact that their defense can't get any stops, which we talked about in the Rockpile Report is a league-wide trend. It's not exclusive to just one football team. But New England got, listen, when it came to a shootout, even against a bad coverage team, you still weren't good enough. You couldn't get it across the goal line when you needed to to win that game. And now you're going up against someone who's a better quarterback. Would you say that, Chris? Better quarterback, Patrick Mahomes? Yeah. Than uh, Russell Wilson?
4: Yeah. I think Mahomes is the most talented in the league. Russell Wilson is playing out of his goddamn mind right now.
1: I mean, that offense is clicking. But so now New England's going to have to go on the road and once again try to figure out, can we overcome an elite quarterback? Can our quarterback throw the ball once in a while? No. Help keep pace against a decent defense?
4: It's going to be interesting.
1: And then Buffalo is going to be looking to create some separation from the pack in our division and potentially give themselves a little bit of cushion as we go head-to-head with the Raiders on the road in a game that seems winnable, a game that feels winnable. And if you win, New England loses, no matter what happens, you now have two wins between you and the closest competition in your division. What is the lesson? I feel like a crazy person saying those words out loud. Oh, calm
4: down. It's still early.
1: It is still early, but it's getting late over here, Chris. We've bothered these people enough. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been this the Week Three AFC East Roundup.
4: The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your
3: online sportsbook experts. MyPatriotSupply.com